It's a mean age. But it is going to be a beautiful future as long as we don't get up. I'm Brian McWilliams, and this is Mean Age Daydream, where I bring you unfiltered comedy, criticism, philosophy, and politics with a Mean Age Daydream. What is happening, children of the Corn Pop? Welcome to Main Age Daydream. I am, of course, Brian McWilliams, your lovely host in all things liberty, love, and licorice. Let's let's toss licorice in there. Not the black kind, though. Everybody knows that's disgusting. Today's show is going to touch on a few different things. I promised you last episode that I would get into a little bit more of the freedom futurism, envisioning what the future could look like to better things for us. Today, I'm going to be tackling a little bit of a tricky topic in that I'm going to be talking about the trans issue. Now, granted, I'm going to think a little bit more on this, probably add on, but I'm going to share my thoughts on how under anarchism, under a freer slash libertarian vision of the future, we could actually make things better for everyone involved here. So I'm going to do that at the end of the show. Before I do that, I'm going to get into the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which dovetails perfectly into how RFK Jr. was censored for his views on vaccines. But before we do that, I want to tell you guys to to please join the Lions of Liberty Patreon or Locals, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty or lionsofliberty.locals. If you like what we're doing here, if you like what I'm doing here, please go get our bonus content. I did a fantastic good morning fuckhead rant today, which you are not going to want to miss. It is pure gold talking about the Biden administration and how they're coming after your refrigeration. And I tweeted about this, but basically I'm predicting this and I think it's going to come true. You're going to see an AC unit shortage this summer. Why? Because of regulations imposed by the Biden administration, making coolants unbelievably expensive. Thus, hard to refill your air conditioners. Thus, more air conditioners are going to be sold brand new. Now, why is this? Because if you've got a crappy old air conditioner, it's going to make more sense to simply buy a new one that actually might be at a lower price cost because it was filled under the previous uh, regulations and rules. And thus, you can buy it cheaper than getting a refill on your shitty old one. So why wouldn't you? Let's jump forward. Everybody buys these air conditioning units. Now we have a shortage. And guess what they're going to tell you? They're not going to tell you that it's because of the regulations. They're going to tell you it's because it's so hot and climate change is to blame. Sending everybody to buy their AC units. You heard it here first. I guarantee it's going to happen because I am a soothsayer and also, of course, a Nostradamus-like figure. But anyway, you could have heard all that and more this morning at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty or lionsofliberty.locals. Please do support us, guys. Little as five bucks a month. What is that? A cup of coffee to you? every month to support people trying to do their best to make this world a better place. So please do help us there. And of course, subscribe, share the show, hit the notifications button on YouTube, on Rumble, everywhere you can find us. All right, getting into it. So White House Correspondents Dinner took place. And uh, you know what? Hold on. Before I get into that, the Hollywood writer strikes going on right now. I do want to address this briefly. So I'm in the heart of Hollywood I know friends that are writers. I myself am trying to be a writer and they will make me join the union. By the way, they make you join the guild or else you're basically blackballed. Lovely situation we have here. Now, the funny thing is I have a writing partner for a script right now that's being read, getting some some pretty nice accolades, right? I go, hey, buddy, during the writer's strike, since nobody's writing, how about we reach out to some managers 
and say, hey, here's our script. Do you want to read it? It's getting all these accolades. He said that if we do that, we will be blackballed <laughs> from the industry because you're not even allowed to, to go to agents, to managers during this time, which I think is fundamentally idiotic. So nobody can do anything during this strike. You'd think the Writers Guild would be open to more writers coming on board their cause, right? Because right now I have no interest in their cause. I'm not employed. I'm not a writer, technically. So why not let me try to get in by getting an agent or a manager? No, verboten, not permitted. But the funny thing is, they're protesting over AI involvement in the writing process, right? Which, of course, makes sense because a lot of lower-level writing jobs may get eliminated by stuff like ChatGPT. You know, if you're writing questions for a game show, if you're writing stuff for a reality show even, could get eliminated. Uh, maybe even higher function stuff. So I can see why they're upset. But what's funny is now there's such a backlog of content and so many streaming options that half the population isn't really going to feel this strike right now. And those that will feel it are probably the people that watch late night talk shows because that's all these huge writing staffs right now that you would actually notice in real time, right? Would be your Conan O'Brien, would be your Colbert, would be your, uh, I guess James Corbin is done. Thank God. So what's funny to me is they've got all these writers out on strike. I think the Biden administration is going to union bust this. They're going to come in with the, with the thugs and start batoning these people and being like, get back to fucking work because they can't miss out on all that propaganda every night masquerading as comedy. I mean, the people that really are hurt most by this are the Biden administration and having all these hacks out there making quote unquote jokes about all of his political opposition while gently covering over with paper mache anything that might harm the president. So <laughs> you're going to see Biden's goons in there anytime now. I give it a week <laughs> before they break it up. Okay. So White House Correspondence Dinner. Speaking of, uh, of comedy, Roy Woods Jr., who, of course, is on The Daily Show, which I don't even I, if I was smart, I would have looked up who actually watches The Daily Show, what the ratings are, because ever since Trevor Noah left, they've been doing kind of a rotating host cast. And I would not be surprised if they actually had similar ratings or if they even took a boost, because I've long said Trevor Noah is a hack. I think he's terrible. I don't think he's funny in any way, shape or form. And I think that what he did to The Daily Show is almost unforgivable after Jon Stewart. Almost as unforgivable as what Jon Stewart's doing to Jon Stewart's legacy under his new show, which is just, again, liberal leftist hackery. But uh, Roy Woods Jr. did the correspondence dinner. And I have to say, I was actually pretty surprised. You know, most of what he was doing, of course, was on the left. He is on the left, as you would imagine, being on The Daily Show. Of course, so is the 99% of the media. But he did make an effort. And fortunately, the good people over at uh, MRC TV have compiled some of the nicer clips here. I'm going to share one of his jokes that actually was pretty good. And, and again, you can see kind of the yin and yang here. But let me play this real quick. Happy to be here. Oh, real quick, Mr. President, I think you left some of your classified documents up here. You can get to the... Yeah. Yeah, no, don't give them to him. I'll put them in a safe place. He don't know where to keep them. I'm a... Happy to be here, though. Happy to be here. We got to get Tucker back on the air, Mr. President, because right now there's millions of Americans that don't even know why they hate you. Fine, look, who has no idea what's happening. I don't know about y'all, but for me, um, the easiest scandal to follow was the Trump document scandal. That was the one that was easy to follow. It was simple. There's some stuff that's supposed to be in the White House that ain't. 
And the media, y'all did y'all's job. Y'all jumped on that story. As soon as the Trump document story broke, everybody was down at Mar-a-Lago. We were reporting live from the documents. And we're going to find them. And then we found out Joe Biden had documents, too. And it was like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Everybody got documents. Everybody got documents. Mike Pence has some documents. Oh, look, a Chinese spy balloon. Would you look at that? So there you go. I'm just going to play that little clip. There was more, I mean, for the majority of it, he was more or less going after the right. But I give him credit. At least, at least he's making some effort to address the fact that the media is completely biased and pointing that out. I mean, that is blatantly pointing out that the media is completely biased. They're complicit in covering up uh, Joe Biden's mistakes and going after Trump at all times. And of course, he went after Trump, too. He's talking about these scandals and how it's, you know, it was like eating a weed brownie. But also to his point. He's talking about how it's eating a weed brownie and feeling like nothing's setting in. All these scandals, right? The Trump arrest. He goes, oh, it's like eating a weed brownie. I'm sitting there waiting. Do I feel justice? Yes. No, I don't feel justice. But yeah, because there's nothing there. There's nothing there. It's a nothing burger. So good job to Roy Wood Jr. for actually trying to be funny, to try to, to toe the line. You know, twice made fun of, uh, of Biden in, in there about the documents. Joked about his age a little bit. He joked about how Biden falls asleep from his naps and then wakes up and gets stuff done. Although... Hilariously to me, he made a joke how Biden woke up from a nap and, and, you know, got rid of student loan debt, which you got to do your homework, Roy. That's uh, gone. They're they're resuming all student loan debt payments. That That's unconstitutional. You can't do that. But it was nice to see. Now, on the flip side, Joe Biden's comments at the White House Correspondents' Dinner were, I'd say, frankly insulting. Now, number one, he joked himself about how he happily does his press conferences and then just walks away without taking any questions. This is a repetitive instance. It occurs almost every time he does a press conference. He doesn't answer questions, or if he does, as with the least recent, I don't know, half scandal showing a LA Times reporter with her face on a card with her predetermined question, which Biden had in his hand and called on her, right? Certainly smacks of uh, media being in the pocket of the White House because they have such a cozy leftist relationship. But he rarely answers questions. And as we're seeing now, when he does, they're custom picked and really dishonest from the White House press corps. Because if you're getting your questions pre-vetted, right, then the White House has all the time in the world to prepare for your exact question. And they're also custom picking who answers what, right? What questions do they want to actually address? How is that holding anybody accountable? How is that truth to power? How is that holding anybody's feet to the flame if you actually want to know anything about what's going on in our country? Simplistically, it's not. It's just all you're doing is softballing in propaganda, which is what we're seeing here under this administration and this press corps. Despite all that, of course, Biden goes out there and talks about how important press freedom is. Now, this is right after Joe Biden was on camera crowing about how Tucker Carlson lost his job, joking about it, right? Something that honestly, to me, seems like it would be beneath the president. It was beneath the president when Trump would do it. It's beneath the president when Biden would do it. I want you to focus on bigger things. I don't need you shitting on news hosts. But at the same time, there seems to be a guy that was pretty vital in exposing a lot of what happened in the government that was pretty underhanded, pretty despicable, that was really at the forefront of what you would consider journalism for quite some time. And yet, I don't remember him being freed at any point in time. And his name is Julian Assange, who's been sitting in a prison, rotting away, being denied his rights for the last, what is it now, 10 years? More? Yet, 
assholes like Biden will go up there and talk about how press freedom is so vitally important. It has to be supported. But of course, it's only for the press freedom he wants. I didn't see him slap down AOC or issue a statement about her calling to censure Tucker Carlson and talking about how we should de-platform people that she doesn't like. Of course not. Because almost everybody in that room, with very few exceptions, he's even palling around, budding, joking with Rupert Murdoch in there. With very few exceptions, that room is full of sycophants. That room is full of people who are completely subscribed to the perspective which Joe Biden at least pretends to share. And they're not going to question, they're not going to bat an eye at the fact that one of their colleagues has been literally imprisoned for the better part of a decade and treated miserably, despite the fact that he did their job better than them, which of course is why they don't have a problem with him being there. They'll call, uh, you know, Carl Fowl over at uh, Khashoggi being killed, right? Not great that he got killed, but then, of course, you learn more and more about this and there might be a little bit more there. But at the same time, they don't say shit about Assange. They continue to stay silent about this man. And I find it especially interesting, too, that Joe Biden's talking about press freedoms, as you said, in the midst of AOC out there and following ABC News talking to one of his, if not his, without a doubt, as of right now, is his greatest rival in the presidential race, which is Robert Kennedy Jr., R.F. Kennedy Jr., who is running, who has declared he's running, and who has been out there making pretty powerful speeches. Despite the fact that he's got these vocal cords that have an issue, he's out there made like a two-hour speech attacking the vaccine establishment, attacking the war establishment, attacking media censorship. ABC just ran it. I'm going to run this clip for you. ABC just ran an interview where they censored him. They censored his speeching, his speech, responding to a question about how he was being censored and about the vaccines. And they went out of their way. I mean, it's, I, oh, I don't know why I'm describing it. Why don't I just play it for you? So here's the clip. And this, of course, is mere days, maybe one and a half, two days before Joe Biden is up here talking about press freedom and how vitally important it is. Looted one time, once again, in the political process. What do you think is the biggest misconception about you? I, you know, I think I, I'm, the public perception of me is just a, a bundle of misperceptions. Uh, I, I mean, part of that is just not being vilified for three years um, without any, but much longer than that, but for the last three years with total blanket censorship. We should note that during our conversation, Kennedy made false claims about the COVID-19 vaccines. Data shows that the COVID-19 vaccines prevented millions of hospitalizations and deaths from the disease. He also made misleading claims about the relationship between vaccination and autism. Research shows that vaccines and the ingredients used for the vaccines do not cause autism, including multiple studies involving more than a million children and major medical associations like the American Academy of Pediatrics and the advocacy group Autism Speaks. Okay, so... There you go. Somebody hit the button. Now, I'm just watching, by the way, I'm just watching Picard season three on Paramount, which is a great show. Honestly, I, the first season was OK. The second season was woke dog shit. And to their credit, to the showrunner's credit, to the writer's credit, to the executives in charge credit, they went, people hate this. We went too far with pushing this garbage. We're going full full reverse. And they did. And the, the latest season is fantastic. But on that show, spoiler alert, there's a signal which turns people into Borg, right? People just out of nowhere, they just become Borg. That was like watching the signal sent from Pfizer. Pfizer pushed the button, they pushed the Borg button, 
And now everybody must be assimilated, right? You can see her right there, become assimilated into the Pfizer board cube and totally change. From, okay. We're doing interview. Oh, the data shows that Pfizer, there is no danger of these vaccines. And there's the, they say the millions. I mean, like a robot, like a fucking robot. That's what like watching that was. Reading from a script, stick to the guidelines within this very narrow confine. Otherwise, you get slapped down. Otherwise, you lose your advertising. It shows you how poisoned this is. And by the way, you should check out the T-shirts that we have, which uh, Odie thought up a great little uh, T-shirt there, which is that television programming is simply filler for pharmaceutical ads. We have a nice little shirt over at lionsofliberty.store to that effect. And of course, you can go by our other one, which is, uh, you know, Big Pharma making myocarditis, arocarditis. Another very hilarious shirt. Lions of Liberty store. But watching that switch get flipped. The man's talking about misconceptions and they can't even let him finish. They can't even let him voice what he's talking about without jumping in and saying, we're not going to allow you to see this. We're not going to allow you to think for yourselves. We're not going to allow you to debate or consider any other viewpoints than the one that we are shoving down your fucking throat. This is the press freedom in Biden's America. Now, where does this get handed down from? Well, obviously Pfizer, but obviously it also is coming down from on high from the administration, which has force-fed vaccines down everybody, mandated people. They only just dropped the federal vaccine mandate, by the way. Forcing people, coercing people, getting people losing, you know, their jobs fired, their, their lives ruined, their children's educations destroyed because of this vaccine, which by the way, ABC News is full of shit on saying that it has undoubtedly saved millions of lives. Now, bad data on these vacations, right? We'll try to see if YouTube pulls us down. Bad data leading to bad conclusions does not equal good conclusions, right? It doesn't equal, it doesn't, these A plus, A plus B squared equals C squared type of deal. But if A squared is terrible data, then the entire equation falls apart. And that's what we're seeing for her to go out there and just cut the man off in this Orwellian dictatorial fashion without letting it play out, without even letting it finish before they come in there. Now, I could understand if they let the rest play out and they say, by the way, we'd like to add on that ABC News cannot uh, support these statements, but we wanted to have you hear them. That's one thing. Fine. If you want to add in a little addendum saying that you don't condone what he said or you don't agree with it and have factual discrepancies, fine. That's not what they did there. That was clear censorship. And now you have to wonder, okay, moving forward in his campaign or any other campaign that challenges vaccine mandates, vaccine uh, efficacy, whether or not we should have been force-fed these things, are they going to suddenly cut the feed? In a live debate, are they going to cut the feed from fucking RFK if he decides to talk about this thing when he's going after Joe Biden? How Joe Biden, as I said, poisoned half the people in America? Or are they going to let it play out? And will other other stations take this, take this guide and be like, okay, well, we have to do the same thing now. I mean, this is sickening to watch. And the guy has the gall. Biden's got the gall. And these people all have the gall to get together and pat each other on the back. Because they're so brave as journalists. Fuck you. Now, let's also, by the way, talk about the fact that they acknowledged how many of their brethren had fallen during this White House Correspondents' Dinner. Talking about how BuzzFeed, done, gone. Vice, 
basically done and gone, right? And this is on top of many, many others. Now, for me, working in public relations, that does suck because you know what? My job is getting harder by the day. As I said before, you know, it's funny, uh, John Ziegler has been on, our, on, on the show many times on the, the network, not my show. He has a podcast called The Death of Journalism. And I talked about this often with my colleagues, how journalism is dying. Trying to get people to cover legitimate news stories is unbelievably difficult. They're lazy. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to cover it. The news staffs have been cut down. And it's basically, instead of talking about real news, now it's just bullshit. Bullshit sells. You're seeing the market response to some of this, though, because BuzzFeed was one of the main purveyors of worthless, meaningless, lefty bullshit. Horrible content, clickbait content. So I'm glad to see them go. BuzzFeed never did me any favors because I'm actually pitching real news. So goodbye, BuzzFeed. Vice. Vice used to be one of the greatest Gonzo-style publications. They did articles that were comedy. They did articles that were really interesting, diving into fascinating topics you wouldn't think about, written in a very intriguing, interesting, kind of unique way. Quasi-journalism, quasi-commentary. But you know what it wasn't? It wasn't this dogmatic ultra-left activist positioning, which they adopted. Now, of course, Gavin McGinnis helped to create Vice. Yes, the same Gavin McGinnis that now is associated with the Proud Boys. But he apparently was the only one there that had a sense of humor or could rein in the leftist terrorism <laughs> that has now taken over Vice because that publication became unreadable in every way. It became a propaganda outlet for the extreme left and their viewpoints. And guess what? They're going tits up. They used to be valued something like $6 billion. Think about that. $6 billion for what started as a free publication given out in California, which is where I first 20 years ago encountered it, had a subscription to it. They used to send you CDs with music on there, you know, various bands from, I guess, you know, either regionally or locally. It was great. Turned into complete trash. Bye-bye, Vice. See you later. I, I will not miss you. But these people will sit around and celebrate their solidarity, let's say, in perspective, they'll tell each other that they are speaking the truth. They'll tell each other, as CNN famously said, an apple's an apple, when the rest of us can see the emperor has no clothes. We can see that that boat is sinking for a very specific reason, and it's because the holes that exist within their worldview, the holes that are so gapingly large and seeping so much truth out the bottom of them is sending them to the bottom of the ocean faster they can possibly bail it out. And CNN seems to be trying to bail as fast as they can by cutting assholes like Don Lemon, Brian Steltler, and you know, seeing what they could do to get back to a respectability level that has been lost during the Trump era. The majority of these people don't see that. They don't understand what they're doing, and that's why it will continue to bleed. And that's why people will continue to, to gain followers on podcasts and Substack and, and Twitter, where people can actually find real truth. Okay. That's that. Let's uh, transition and let's see, is there anything else I want to talk about? No, okay, good. So let's transition into this topic about trans. And in truth, it, it ties in a little bit to what I was talking about, about the media and, and how they view things, right? So I was thinking about this, how under the mean age daydream, right, of an, an anarchistic future, a free future, one that is 
free from the vast majority of government regulation, free voluntary societies, et cetera. I said, okay, well, how can things be better for trans? And you know what? It came back to a lot of my thinking revolved around three things. Number one is the the chilling effect uh, of government perspectives on healthcare in regards to the trans issue. So much of what we can see as far as negative outcomes uh, for children, uh, pushing the affirmative care only, i.e. you will, if you say you're a gender, we're going to say that that's right, that you're the gender. We're not going to push back on it, right? Which goes against every psychological foundation, every psychiatric foundation of trying to find out what the actual root of a problem is or the root of a symptom is, right? And many times you see that gender dysphoria or uh, smaller children looking into becoming transgender has to do with some underlying issues, right? This is like the bill, I, I discussed the Missouri bill, which I took umbrage with because it blocks adults from getting access to trans drugs and trans surgeries, et cetera. Well, they examine how autism is a huge driver in people identifying as trans. Depression is a huge driver in people identifying. You know, you ge basic gender dysphoria. Going into the root problems of these things is important. It's a vital, vital aspect of healthcare. And yet from the top down, because the government has said basically in a dear colleague letter, right? Passed down by the health and human services. This is what we believe in affirmative care. And the chilling effect that's had throughout the entire health community cannot be overstated. Now, not only that, but I was thinking about, you know, when we talk about anarchy, we talk about the absence of rulers, not just blood in the streets as most idiots that don't understand what anarchy is think. But we talk about rulers. We're not just talking about government. Rulers are where any, a ruler can really be anything that exists that has absolute control over what you're trying to do. And when you apply that to the medical field, when you apply it to the psychiatric field, when you apply that to the technology field when it comes to healthcare, you have a cadre of rulers there, right? You still are, are fighting against this, just trying to throw off the mantle of oppression. And when you talk about that, like the AMA, right, the American Medical Association, if their dictate is that you have to give this care, right, this is the way it goes and you have the surgery, then you have, again, terrible outcomes. There's an example that's now going around about a kid. It was a, a boy who had hormone therapy started so young that they couldn't turn his penis inside out, right? They couldn't do the surgery. So they took a piece of his colon to try to make a vagina out of. Well, he died. Surgery went wrong. Kid's dead. Did he need the surgery or not? Did he need to be on the hormones or not? Would he have turned into a gay man were this not an intervention with affirmative care, with pushing one ideology over a more cautious approach? We don't know, but it certainly seems like we should find out. But beyond that, when you talk about these licensing organizations, you talk about organizations that make the costs go up, they make your process slower, they make it more agonizingly painful. Well, if you get those out of the way, then look, you can open up the world to experimentation by people, right? And I'm not saying children. I'm going to get around to the children issue at the end of this. But I'm talking about the fast forwarding of people being able to adult humans being able to experiment with their bodies at a far faster rate. We know how expensive healthcare is. We know how cheap technology is. Now, this is not, I'm not the first person to make this, this juxtaposition by pointing out that we should have access to healthcare that is so infinitely cheap, infinitely instantaneous because technology is advanced to the point and healthcare technology to the point where it should be 
I mean, basically cell phone levels of your computer used to be here, right? It used to take up four, four rooms of tapes going back and forth. And now you have a cell phone in your hand that has the computing power that NASA could envy 60 years ago. Why do not, we not have that with healthcare? Well, because we've got all of these rulers in the way. We've got all these bureaucracies in the way. We've got all these money makers in the way and lobbyists and all these special interest groups in the way that are stopping it. When you look at the trans issue, we probably, and I would say definitively, would have technology that is so vastly superior to what we have today were these people not in the way. Because you could have people have the, their own ability to spend money to experiment, to fast-forward technology, to fast-forward procedures and processes that could create synthetic versions of what they have, that could fast-forward the cell technology to experimentation with cloning technology, that could give these people a chance to actually have a real version rather than this synthetic version that's being created of neo-whatever, neo-penis, neo-vagina. You have the ability to create under an anarchist or a libertarian system wherein you're not going up against barriers all the time, constantly. And thus, we probably have set that movement back, not only by the way in which we've treated it in the you know, politically, but technologically. We've probably set that trans movement back and the ability to transition smoothly and safely back 20 to 30 years just by virtue of existing regulations and rulers which get in the path of that happening with massive expenses. Not only the time it takes to do the research that being slowed down, but the expense it takes to have these surgeries, to create these technologies, to get them approved. All of these things have slowed this down to the point where lives are quite literally being lost because of the government getting in the way. Now, another thing I want to add on to this is that when we talk about government, we talk about rulers, we talk about, you're not just talking about governmental rulers, you're not just talking about the American Medical Association, but we're also talking about research organizations. We're talking about the chilling effect, again, from the top down here, wherein you have now all the incentive in the world because of the funding apparatus because of the way in which the political machine is working, because of the way in which the academic and publishing and peer-reviewed journals machines are working, your incentive exists not to provide legitimate research into what outcomes could affect people, whether they're transitioning or not, at what age or not. Your emphasis is going to be on finding data which you already know the outcome for aka activist data. And that's what we see come out. And anything that's come out to challenge that has been demonized, has been torn down, has had their funding pulled, has had teachers and, and academics fired and removed from their positions because they didn't toe the line. That is poisonous. If you want honesty, if you want freedom, if you want, you want the best outcome for the people that are legitimately trans or are just confused and trying to find their way forward, you need good data. You need good academics. You need good research and reports that you can trust, not something that is designed with one outcome in mind. Now, to add on to that, I also want to mention that, you know, kind of going back away. We've got so many people that are transitioning, right? And again, I would blame media for this. I would blame academics. I would blame the education system for the way in which they are affirmative care, pushing, you know, affirm, affirmation of all things rather than questioning and slowing down public works. But at the same time, let's say, and this ties into, you know, again, the technological advancements with people that do want to transition. Let's say we've got the advancements of 
AR, VR technology, artificial intelligence, all tied into one. Now, if you are a person right now that's looking to transition or confused or curious about transitioning, some of these things may be that you legitimately feel you have to be in that body. Some of these things may simply be that you like to cross this because you have a sexual fetish. With AR, you could put on a pair of goggles, you could walk around, and through augmented reality, especially with the technological advances of artificial intelligence and creating video in real time, you could look and feel as though you are a woman, right? You put on your glasses, now you're a woman. You look and feel as though you are. You can walk around and experience your life as though you're getting a taste, right? That's one aspect. With virtual reality, You've got your goggles. We have advancements in the way in which virtual reality interacts with the human body. You've got suits that are already in development, which have pressure. You have suits that you can walk around in. You have the balls. You can have this technology advanced to the point where you don't need to have that surgery to feel like a woman. You simply immerse yourself within an avatar environment. You can immerse yourself within a technological world, a second skin, and live life as though you were a woman. Now, if you want to go even farther with this, where you actually might have a robotic avatar to go out with, let's say, you know, we've got the 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 life-looking dolls, right, of men and women. I don't think we're that far off from the point, and you see this in Japan already, where they've got human-style, you know, what do you call them? Uh, not cyborgs, but uh, I don't know, automatons. There's a word for it. I just can't think of it right now. But you've got... Robots that already they're putting human skin on and making them look lifelike and they have expressions. Now, if that technology is allowed to proceed as is, we're f- why instead of forcing people into these transitions, why don't we give them that option of living life through this virtual reality apparatus in which they can go through life looking, feeling like a woman, right? Whether that's virtual, whether that's through an avatar, point being, you can experience that life without having to completely undo your genetic makeup and try to re, you know, reassert, re-Frankenstein yourself into a new gender. It seems to me that so often they are jumping the gun with this in every possible way. Now, this doesn't necessarily tie into why a free future, an anarchistic future is, is so much better. You know, technology in this rate is probably going to proceed about as fast as it is now. I, I, you know, AI is going to speed that up if it doesn't destroy us all. But it will speed up that research. It will speed up that virtual creation of technology, of environment, of feeling, Um, the sense of your mind. And again, this is where transhumanism ties into transgenderism so often. But in a transhumanistic sense, if you're willing to cut off your dick and turn it into a vagina, you're probably going to be okay with putting an interactive chip in your head that can connect directly to a sensory apparatus that ties you to the internet or ties you to a bodysuit. And guess what? One of those things is probably going to be far less expensive, far less painful, far less traumatic, and also probably can be reversed fairly easily, whereas the other cannot. And the other, well, I mean, putting a chip in your brain at this point probably would kill you, but let's say in a few years, one of them is probably less likely to kill you. So just wanted to add that aspect in as well. And on top of that too, we already have existing virtual reality therapy. Now this exists. I know clients have had uh, that are using it for different conflict resolution issues with kids that have, you know, they're in the justice system trying to stop them from getting angry or teaching them how to go through different phases, right? If you have virtual reality therapy, 
that exists already. Why are we not using it for people that have these body dysmorphia issues or, or this, you know, gender issues or confusion? Why not, as I said, put them in a scenario wherein they are a virtual woman and let them play around in it? Do you feel more comfortable? Do you feel less comfortable? Do you feel happier? Do you feel sadder? Because more often than not, I think you're going to find that these people realize that's not the secret to why they're unhappy. And right now, all we're doing is pushing people that are unhappy or claim they're unhappy because they're a boy or they're a girl. We're just pushing them to ruin their lives. Not all the time. Okay. Not all the time. But I think you're going to see that more often than not, that's going to be the outcome. And we're seeing a generation of kids now that are starting to realize what they've been sold. So why not try this therapy instead? But because we're competing against this top-down monolithic dictate from the government, which has been adopted by the media, academia, and the healthcare industry. Under an anarchistic society, you don't have that. Okay, so let's get around to the nitty-gritty of this, the tricky part. Which is, of course, you'd say, well, Brian, okay, if you've got an anarchistic society, if you don't have a top-down rulership that is protecting children, what's to stop people from starting communities where they just make everybody transgender? You know, we've already got existing communities where people that are transgender say, hey, we're going to you know, bring your kids. California is a sanctuary city for transgenders, a sanctuary state for transgenders. These places, number one, already exist, but, you know, they... What, what's to stop more of them from happening? What's to stop cities from you know, from springing up where this is what is done? A kid shows up there and they're instantaneously transgendered, right? What's to stop that? Well, I think that all comes back around to the question which exists in libertarianism or anarchism, which is always where are your moral values at, right? And there's the non-aggression principle, you know, do no harm unless someone's doing harm to you. But there also exists the secondary question of what is your responsibility, if any, to stop a violent act if you see it? You know, one of the old instances is always if you see a, you know, your neighbor beating the shit out of his wife on the porch, is it your obligation to go over there? Now, this exists in other places. You know, when we talk about governmental action, I always say I'm not for governments going to war. If you want to go to war then you can voluntarily get a group of people to go over there. So it's the Ukraine war. Hey, if you guys want to gather together and go fuck off to Ukraine to go fight, go ahead. You did it on your bond. You're done. You you don't use my money. You don't use my funds. You don't use my my military. You don't use our, our uh, budget here, our weapons, our armor. So if you want to go over there on yourself with your own bucks and your own guns, go, go for it. I think similarly, this exists within this construct. Now, you're always going to have conflict in life. People are never going to agree on all fronts. And if you have a fundamental disagreement about children being mutilated at a young age through this process, well, that's up to you to decide if you are going to intervene or not, if your community is going to intervene or not, and up for the other community to decide whether or not they will capitulate to what you would ask them to do or if you are going to fight about it. You know, libertarianism, while it is a, a philosophy of freedom, uh, is not free from violence. You know, there is, there are always going to be instances where violent action might be taken. And in this instance, you could say that they are taking a very violent action against the most vulnerable people out there, which is children. And 
Whether or not you want to stop that or intervene, of course, is a individual value. I would certainly say that I would be for that. I would be far more for a group of people or let's say a country going to war over mutilation um, of children at a very young age than I would over oil or land or water or whatever the fuck else these people want to pretend that we need to go to war for. And I do want to add this as well, that cultures already exist, which mutilate children. We have rampant female circumcision and uh, all sorts of child sex slaves in the Middle East and in Africa. And we've got governments that exist already that don't do anything about it. And I'm not advocating that we necessarily go to war. Like I said, I'd rather go to war over that than many of these other things, but I wouldn't advocate going to war over that. But to make the point, it's not as though things are just fine right now. So again, under the vision of anarchism, I think things would be better for the reason stated. I think that it opens up people to have greater options with less coercion, technological and health advancements that would make this process far easier, far more safe, far more seamless, far more affordable. And with that comes an advancement in people's ability to make a decision that might not be as dire as what we have right now. And again, when you've got cheap access to these type of things and zero barriers in the way to stop medical and health professionals from making huge advancements or at least helping to speed them up, well, you're going to have far more success in figuring out what the best, easiest, safest solution is to this issue than what we have currently, which is just probably the worst of all worlds. There you go. There's my thoughts, guys. If you like what I had to say, please share the show, subscribe, tell a friend. Uh, that'd be infinitely helpful. Or just follow me on Twitter at Brian McWilliams. Follow the Lions of Liberty Network at Lions of Liberty. And of course, join us on Patreon, join us on Locals and uh, anywhere else you want to subscribe. That'd be fantastic. Okay. From me, Brian McWilliams from Mean Age Daydream and the Lions of Liberty Network. Keep those electric eyes on me, babe. Keep that ray gun in my head.